Baseball season's almost here, and there's never been a better time to check out DraftKings.com, America's favorite daily fantasy baseball site, where you could win huge cash prizes every day. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitment. Every time you play, it's like a new season. Head to DraftKings.com now and use code ATHLETE to play for free in the opening day $100,000 fantasy baseball contest. First place takes home ten grand. Enter ATHLETE for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Hey, this is Brian. Um, so uh, this episode of The Moment was recorded about a year ago. It was the third episode of the show I did. Mark Marin was kind enough to uh, be an early guest. And uh, since I'm on his show this week, I thought it might be fun uh, for you, in case you weren't somebody who listened to the show back then or in case you're a Marin fan, to hear this conversation. Uh, I think I was pretty rough at interviewing, but I think we got to some pretty interesting stuff. I loved this conversation. Uh, I think that uh, it's very honest. And uh, please excuse the fact that back then I was reading kind of this intro and, and writing it. I cringe thinking about it, but know that uh, I didn't mean every word of it. So here's an old episode. Uh, I hope you dig it. I definitely love doing it. And uh, man, I was, uh, I love podcasting. And, and I, I can just remember those first few episodes, how, how scared of it I was. Um, but I knew that I loved it and I would keep doing it. So thanks for listening to the show. Uh, if you want to email me, I'm uh, at my email address is themomentbk at gmail.com. And uh, here's Mark Marin in New York about a year ago. And now, The Moment with Ryan Koppelman. There is nothing but the moment. Don't you waste it on regret. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I'm sitting here with Mark Marin. Mark, um, normally what I do is I record uh, an introduction before the guest comes, mm-hmm. and then the guest never hears it. Right. But in this case, I, I want to actually play you what I said, and then we can react to it together. Okay. So, Joe, would you uh, please play the, uh, the thing? Is this where you're going to put the intro now? Yeah, so like it's all going to be the way. So this is oh, right. This is the opening of the show right now. Oh, and now you're going to play the intro that you're going to play behind my back. That's right. But I, well, you but see, that's great. Go, see, it's accusatory already. But that I was going to do it behind I, your back, but I'm not doing it behind your I, back. Look, I do the same thing, and I've gotten into trouble for it. Let's hear it. Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. This one really means something to me. Mark Maron will be walking in here soon, so this is going to be different. The guests on my first two episodes, Seth Myers and Mario Batali, are my friends, but I've only met Mark three times. We don't know each other. And yet I've been arguing with him for years, looking like a crazy person as I walk through Central Park with Dre Beats in my head, yelling into the air at Mark as I listen to his groundbreaking podcast, WTF. Sometimes I'm talking back to his podcast because I want him to give the guest a break. Other times because I want him to give himself a break. Sometimes I just want him to stop talking. To those of us obsessed with WTF, Mark Marin is both an inspiration and a source of massive frustration. His particular combination of self-loathing and self-regard can be compelling and offensive at the same time. But we love him. Because he is never boring, never dishonest, never even withholding. Others came before him, but Marin invented the modern podcast. The podcast is probing, incisive conversation as a search for connection and meaning. If you haven't heard it, go listen to his two-parter with Louis C.K. or the one with Carlos Mencia or the one where he almost made Dane Cook seem human. Almost. Mm -hmm. 
About six weeks ago, I wrote a Grantland piece about the WTF with Jim Brewer. Go check that out if you want a little more context. Or just keep walking or driving and listening. And if you feel the urge to yell out at me or Marin for screwing up, for not asking what you want to know, for not just shutting up and listening, believe me, I understand. And I'm sure Mark does too. He'll be here in a second, so I'm going to shut up now. Thanks for hanging with us. <laughs> That's very nice, I think. Yeah. Most of, it, most of that was nice. Yes. All right, good. So you can pay. You can hear the, the nice now. In, in your life, you can actually pick out the nice and focus on that. Yeah, well, I can, and I just don't. Like, there's a weird thing that I'm noticing now is that uh, I can hear it, and I don't. I don't always know how to handle uh, compliments or or things like uh, my like. How do you? What am I supposed to look at you when right. I'm listening to that? Uh, like, and I I've learned how to do that with people. Like, it feels weird to me to hear it, and sometimes I just gotta sit there and shut up. And and that's uh, I think you were kind of uh, alluding to that. But even when people are talking about themselves in uh, in either a painful way or or uh, or giving me a compliment, I don't know why I, I, those two reactions to those two specific things <laughs> are sort of the same feeling. But I kind of it's not a panic, but I can feel it in my heart, and like I, I get you know part of me wants to get choked up, uh, and then another part of me knows that uh, that you got. You gotta let people say that stuff. I don't want to interrupt it, but that was recorded, so I yes. wasn't gonna interrupt but, it. But the, uh, but it's you know having listened to, I don't know that I've listened to all four hundred and seventy um, episodes of WTF, but I've listened to really an embarrassingly large amount of them, and I think that in the beginning, all you would have heard, I think that before your life changed, all you would have heard if you heard that introduction was. Uh, Hey, why does this guy want me to shut up? Why does this guy think I'm offensive sometimes? <laughs> that's, that's probably true. I still get touchy about it. I get emails. I mean, it's not all gone. I just sometimes there's a there's a saying in the recovery racket. You know, I don't even know if it's in that, but sometimes you just have to act as if. And sure, and and that's not bad advice. Uh, you know, restraint of pen and tongue is another one, but. Uh, but it still hurts. I mean, I still engage with idiots on Twitter. I still, like, I get an email from someone. I, could, I got an email yesterday. Yeah, what did it say? The guy said, you know, I've been listening to your podcast for a long time, and I'm getting tired of uh, the, the amateur therapy, or, or it always seems to have this, this, this certain tone where you're going to look for pain or look for this or that. But he's basically saying, I've listened to it a long time, but I seem to have outgrown it or something. I'm moving on. I find, I find that fascinating. He moving on because what? Because he's he doesn't need you anymore. I, no, it's, it was a little more aggressive than that. It was basically saying like, you know, you're be, you're repeating yourself because every episode is like uh, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing the other thing. And uh, I could have just let that go, you know. But I looked at his, the little square with his his dumb face on the Google <laughs> Mail thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, so that's that guy. This is that guy who's saying that. And uh, and what I chose to write back was later period Marin, right? Later, see ya, goodbye. Yeah, but no, but it's not that. It's like because right, this morning I'm like, I wonder if he. This is just a guy. Wait, you checked. Oh, you yeah. gave him the satisfaction of seeing if he replied to your one word. See you later. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, that's good. So you're still not healthy. No, no, that's no. important. No, know. but I. 
I don't know why that moment has to happen. I don't know because someone pointed out to me, I, I think it was my therapist who I have now. I have, you know, this is the first time in years. Is it? It's not Phil Stutz, is it? No, no, no. It's another guy. Uh, his name is um, oh, you know. Jeffrey. Yeah. And uh, he said you, about something else, he said, you, these people, they're projecting. They're projecting. And then I had to think about what that means. What does projecting mean? How is how am I playing out something for him? You know, what what is it? Are you saying he's not really annoyed with me? It, because it's what he's saying isn't true. It's contextualized. I, obviously, all my episodes aren't the same. They're all different. And and you know, there are certain things that I and themes that I I am curious about. And there are some times where I go right out and ask things because I think uh, certain. Uh, issues and certain things that define people have a consistent uh, source. There's a source there, and it's not it's not a big mystery. Sometimes, no. I, yeah, I was going to ask you uh, later because I, I want to frame this a, a different way, but I'll, I'll just do this, and then and then I will. But my point is, yes. my point is, is that you know he's dealing with whatever you know my, whatever I sparked in him yes. is his own thing, and it's the same with you. I mean, you're going to you can have a problem with me. That's fine. And, and, and people know me in a very candid way if they listen to my podcast. But ultimately, the emotional reactions, you know, something's going to be triggered either positively or negatively. And, and it's not really me necessarily. That's what I was going to. Yeah, I was going to say to you that you're in this really unique uh, position. But there's no such thing as really unique, by the way. Something's either unique or it's not. But you're in this unique position where you're really alive in people's heads mm -hmm. in a way that I'm not sure many other people are, even the people with big podcasts, because there, there's just something um, intimate, first of all, about the form of the one-on-one -on -one quiet podcast and one that you listen to, you know, you by going twice a week, sometimes three times this year, but twice a week, yeah. people walk around with your literally your voice in their heads. Yeah. And radio, when it's people's voices in, in someone's head, it's a team of people. Even Howard, it's Robin and it was Artie. And it's like, you, it's basically you um, are in these people's heads. And they, there's this Wallflowers line, uh, song called Sleepwalker that Jacob wrote between Bringing Down the Horse and the, the next album after that massive success where he was like, I realize I'm a sleepwalker in people's dreams. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what you are, I think, in a way. Yeah, people have dreams about me. They email them to me, and uh, it's become sort of a thing because I've read some of the dreams on live WTFs, and now, yes. like, a lot of people, I sometimes get me emails that with the subject line of like, "Finally, I had a Marin dream," uh, and but that is what you're saying is true. I don't know that I really think about it that much, but I the one thing that I noticed that was interesting was that I started to get a lot of Marin-based artwork, right? A lot. I mean. And I drew a picture once, and I'm not drawing any parallels, but, but to draw a picture or to do a piece of artwork of somebody, if you're a creative person and, and I am the subject, that's an incredibly uh, flattering and, and humbling experience to have people who are creative do these pieces based on me. And I, I know it sounds narcissistic, but I know that I, when I used to draw pictures... When I, I spent hours and hours drawing pictures of the Beatles when I was a kid, because my mother was a, an artist of sorts. She was a painter, and I was sort of compelled that way for, for many years to, to do that. And I put in all these hours into drawing this picture, and, and, it, and there was a pride in finishing it. It was the best thing I ever drew. And, uh, but I was driven to do it because of my reverence for somebody. Your love. Yeah. 
and uh, it's it's really astounding to me uh, and i i don't always know what to do with it i can't i'm afraid of of sometimes i'm afraid of taking things in like i'm afraid of hearing the good things because i do have a capacity to to be a victim of 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 hubris and 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 in order to be to keep that in check I sort of force a sort of, um, I make sure that I, I have a certain amount of gratitude and that I know where I came from and uh, I know what's happening in my life. And I, I try to temper that because you don't want to be that guy. You know, I was that guy before I had anything. I had a sort of arrogance, but it was a defensiveness really. And it was, uh, I was threatened by everything and I was overly sensitive. So I chose a disposition. And now that, you know, things are really coming at me, you know, I try to be as, as, as uh, to have as much grace as possible in these situations. Uh, and and to respond to it as as well as I can, though though it's become more difficult as more people listen and I get more stuff, it, it kind of bothers me that I can't really respond personally or that I don't have a infrastructure in place. I, I wouldn't want anyone to do well, it for me. Yeah, you know, in the in the beginning of your show, um, you were so connected to the first people who responded to you yeah. positively. Right? Yeah, and this is so. This is a good way to go back, and I'll come back to what I wanted to ask about that, which is the way that you used to really feel an obligation to those people, and I think you found a way now to step back. But the, my, this show is called The Moment, and it's for a reason, which is that I'm really interested in inflection points in people's lives in the moment when like everything could go one way or another. And I think that people who accomplish great things, um, they process those moments differently. So can you just, uh, I know some people have, have heard this, but can you just describe a little bit where you were when, I, I mean, by the way, I asked a couple of friends because so many people listen to you and, you know, what normally I choose what the moment is and, and you know, is it uh, the moment that your manager fi- like kind of fired oh, right, you? Right, right. Is it when Kinison, earlier when Kinison chased you out of LA, but, to, you know, chased you yeah. out of LA. But to me, it is like when you were alone and thought it was over and were thinking about other things. What were you sort of consciously thinking when you said, I'm going to set up these two mics? Well, what had happened was that, you know, I've always been somebody, you know, I keep moving one way or the other. You, you know, I'm not a business-minded person, and, and I don't really, I can't really identify my ambition. Uh, but I do know that, that I, I keep pushing. And I think if I look at it in retrospect, that... You know, you do comedy for a long time, and you do this thing, and uh, I, I never really saw myself as, as an entertainer. I never really understood the idea of it. I, I somehow, in my mind, had decided that comedy, stand-up comedy, was a way for me to express myself. And this, you know, I'm a person that, you know, I drew pictures, I wrote poetry, I, you know, I did uh, theater, I did, you know, I, I, a lot of stuff. I I never really thought about making money. I ne- You know, I needed to be a creative person. I was a creative person. I needed to figure it out. So I chose comedy for for a few reasons, you know, that, uh, you know, you can pretty much say whatever you want to any group of people that you choose. The context is very broad Uh, and you can actually say things that people don't laugh at and you can do it for years. And if you decide it's comedy, then then they just don't get you. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I I used to when I was a little when I was a kid, 21 years old, I was hanging around the comedy clubs all the time because Havy, Alan Mm -hmm. Havy is. Uh, you know, my great friend, and he was at the time probably like the the top stand-up yeah. in New York City. Right, right. And I remember um, a bunch of times seeing you. Really? 
uh, get up. And, well, the one night that you and Havy have sort of talked about when you went long and you were sitting at Caroline's trying to get a laugh at the end, you wouldn't get out of this chair and you just stayed in this chair and s- talked. You were there? Yeah. Uh, I was I was in the room. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember because I was standing w- with Have and, and then I went out and, and, and looked. And what I remember thinking then was Mark doesn't care about about being funny. Yeah. He cares about two things. He 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 and this was I think at the time a weakness of yours which was he wanted everyone in the room to know he was smart. Uh-huh. And he wanted to somehow connect. Uh-huh. And he you wouldn't leave until these things were established somehow. Smart. They don't always they don't always work well together. Right. <laughs> For trying <laughs> trying to prove that you're smart and connecting not always one is pushing someone away and the other one is desperately trying to pull them in. I I know that you know that was uh, I used to do a bit about that. The bit was uh, you know generally with an audience. What I like to do is just you know push you you know uh, as far away as possible, and then pull you back and just you know push you away and then pull you back. I mean that's generally the dynamic, and it's a it's a dynamic I call dad. And uh, <laughs> you know like, yeah. but those were problem solving things. But there was a truth to that. But it was really be- because. Um, of my tremendous, you know, discomfort, uh, and like I, I still uh, have to struggle with the idea of of defying people to love me because I don't know that I can accept it. It's like when you say to me, you know, how does it feel when you know people say good things about me? I don't have the equipment. My parents weren't bad; they were just selfish. And whatever they identified or thought was love was really, you know, servicing their own needs. So, like, there, there's something about love that I don't trust and that I think is manipulative, fundamentally. If, if somebody likes me for, you know, like, I, I really, I like you, I, I, I love you, I'm like, no, what's this about? So, I don't have the, you know, my heart doesn't have, you know, the, the, the proper reaction. And, you know, I'm having, I'm having to retrain myself. I mean, uh, to, you don't think do that's that. just a story you still keep telling yourself? Because uh, listen, well, all that stuff is right. I yeah. mean, you know, um, a lot of our problems are really needs that weren't met when we were very young, and you know, now you're just this this strange child in in, in the the broken, jaded vessel of an adult. Uh, you know, trying. I I talked about it on my podcast the other day, but um, but lately, that was that was the that was the the prison I was in. Is that, and that was one of the reasons why I think uh, I did never, I never resonated as a comic, that I, I never caught on. I, th- I think that's right. Yeah, because I wasn't a whole person. That I, I was, I was flawed in this very specific way. That what I was looking for from an audience or from anybody was this, this weird, uh, uh, love that, that I couldn't accept. Like a lot of performers, and I've thought, I've thought about this, you know, straight straight on like for some reason it was was bill maher that 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 i was thinking about it there there are performers that go out there and they just feed on the love of the audience i mean that is part of an entertainer's thing it's like that's part of their their personality type is that you know that's why they can do it is that they have this talent and they just love to be loved they want to bathe in it yeah and for me, that that is like probably the most uncomfortable thing in the world. It's like, I, you, you guys, what are you, what are you even laughing at? Like, there's this weird thing in my head. It's like, I I know what's funny, 
And, uh, you know, I used to write jokes, but at that time, I think I was, you know, probably, you know, still recovering or, or still using the, the, the Kennison model or, or, or Bill Hicks or, you know, I don't identify them as being, you know, necessarily influences, but the idea of being provocative uh, and angry was 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 appealing to me and 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 then being intelligent on top of that i remember the jokes i did you know some of them right yeah you and and so you remember uh well like what was it one of the jokes that you did then that was hard to that you knew wasn't really a joke well i mean there was a like that caroline like in 89 or so you you know um there was some bit about you know uh, that the the reason the 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 Christian right is so anti-abortion is they think that something's going to go horribly wrong with the second coming, that you know that you know the three kings show up at a uh, you know at a clinic somewhere you know and there's a dumpster and you know and then it it, it sort of you but, know it, yeah, but although, obviously you were always someone who were, was capable of writing a good joke because those are funny things but I mean that's a funny joke the second coming joke and smart but what I what I really remember is you defiantly sitting there like you're not gonna laugh at that yeah well you're really not gonna laugh at this well it used to be when i sat down that meant it was over right that you, you know that 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 was me realizing that i'm not gonna get this audience i'm in a tremendous amount of anger and pain and i'm just gonna pretend you know like i'm just gonna sit down and just take it and uh and, and bathe in it because there's nothing there's no more lonely or freer a moment than to be sitting on a stool in front of a room of people that don't like you and it's it's a space that is there's nothing like it you're just like they're all sitting there with expectations that you're not going to meet and uh and you're just sitting there yeah and you just said you just said uh that you like to bathe in which is the word we use to say like bill maher bathes in the approval I don't like it, but it is like the antithesis of that. It, it, it is. It, I don't really like it, but there's some part of me that I think the journey in stand-up was really primarily to be seen and heard, and to be, you know, to have a voice and to have. Uh, I think that was always the the sort of search was, you know, who am I really? And in those moments, um, it, it's almost like a, a palate cleanser for that. It, it, it took years for me to. To sort of emerge from it, um, and 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 go a different way, because it was so painful, it was so sad that I was so locked up like that, and that I was so afraid to really show myself. You know, I think that if if I'm thinking out loud, is that you know that is that is me, you know, being shocking and being confrontational, which is you know somehow is what I did as a child to sort of maintain myself is to keep people away, specifically the, the folks. Uh, and it, it's not, it's not honesty. It's not, uh, it's not authentic. It's not honesty. And it's, it, you know, anger is not honesty. Right. No, it's, it's, it's arming yourself to say, um, I'm doing all this so that actually I can tell myself there's no way you could love me because I'm preventing it. Yeah. It's not something fundamentally wrong with me. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm wearing armor. Right. Just try to, just try to come and get past this. Yeah, but also like you know, and I'm going to shove this stuff down your head uh, because it's important, or you know, or you know, I know this stuff, or this is what. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's not embarrassing, really, but like I was always a pretty sweet kid, and I don't know 
I was always very sensitive. I'm a very, you know, feeling-driven person. And I sh- I had leveled all of my feelings to to just anger. Well, what, that was apparent. And by the way, it was super fascinating. And, and uh, you know, you burned yourself into people's minds. Because I would go and spend Fridays and Saturdays a lot at comedy clubs because I was someone who was scared to do it and really wanted to try to do it. Yeah. And I would, was around, you know, this guy who, uh, although Havy's you know, uh, 12 or 13 years older than me. We really have been best friends since we were, since I was 19 years old. I would go around with him and uh, watch everybody. And I got to know everybody. We didn't get to know each other at all. And I just remember thinking, God, that guy, there's something there. He is that, he is as sort of like smart and powerful a presence as he thinks he is. But it was clear even as a kid, like this guy is not prepared. And then somehow at your lowest moment, you found a way to connect. Finally, you know, you know, Mario Batali was in here on the, the last episode and he said there are two kinds of smart people. There are those that want you to always know, hey, I'm smarter than you. And then there are those that that are confident enough in who they are that all they want is to seek out smarter, better, learn from them, take it, make the guy they're talking to feel smart by association so that he becomes the best of himself. And it seems like you've actually made the transition from one to the other. Yeah, well, I don't think I ever really thought about it like that. You know, I always, uh, when I was in college and stuff, and I always gravitated towards creative, intelligent people. And I think when I was in college that I had this uh, aspiration to be an intellectual. But the the amount of of discipline that's required to be a true intellectual uh, was was profound. I mean, you know, to sort of be able to contextualize uh, literature or or philosophy or um, you know social theory, any of that, to to really contextualize it. it it's it, easier to buy the books than to read them. Yeah, yeah, but you know the thing is, is that everybody ultimately what happens in, in in my life and what what ultimately happened is that everybody's trying to answer the same questions. I mean, you know, if you're not an engineer or you're not you know dealing with solid fact of you know what uh, you know what are the elements, what is chemistry, uh, you, you know what, you know how do you build a bridge. Uh, what is history? We you know, all those are important, but but the fundamental existential questions are something everybody wrestles with. And at some point, you know, I think I be, I began to trust my own um, interpretation of what was happening in my life. That that at some point there was some wisdom that to be to be taken from my experience, and I I became humble enough to do that. And it was not anything I planned. Uh, I, I think that you know my life crapped out, and uh, it just crapped out. And, and take us uh, to that. I mean, so how did well? It crap I mean, out? you know, I've been you know beating myself against the wall trying to do stand up and not not being that disciplined about it. I'm very I'm a hard worker and I'm very compulsive uh, about you know getting on stage and moving through things. But it was never it, it, it wasn't always clear what what it was I was trying to do. That it, you know I was ultimately creating a dialogue uh, with a, a very small audience. Of people that would tolerate what I did and and you know witness what I was moving through and to some of those people I was helpful uh, and to some of those people I was profound and and to some of those people I was brilliant but in a general sense uh, my joke writing is scattered uh, my my ability to um, to sort of have discipline around uh, you know repeating my act is limited sure. uh, because I, I it bothers me. You, you know, when I have to do a five-minute TV set, it's it's a chore, but I can do it, but I don't think it's a great representation of me. I think I'm best when I'm working through stuff. Uh, but but uh, the result of that was your career had hit a big standstill. Well, it hit a standstill, but, like, it could have plotted on. Right. Is that, you know, there, there's a lot of pride involved in, in, in me. You know, there's a lot of... 
um, and, oh, there's a lot of pride, and pride is, uh, you know, a real bit. It's a real bit. I'm an atheist, but in the Bible, it's it's true that pride goeth before the fall is a what, true statement. Atheists and no atheists, the seven deadlies were, you know, those, right. that's those are intelligent. Yeah, there, there's an intelligence to them uh, that that you know sins are you know no one is ever going to be perfect, but you know it's good to know that like it's a pretty short menu of things. It, this is a short menu about how people f up and and how they they stifle themselves. But, but so pride, you were prideful. I'm, I'm on it. Yeah. So. So ultimately what happened was, you know, it just wasn't happening that, you know, I had done, you know, 40 to 50 Conan O'Briens. I'd done two Comedy Central Presents. I'd done an HBO half hour. I mean, I'd gotten all the opportunities. I had two or three pilot deals. Like it wasn't like my manager, you know, was not, you know, we got things and people knew that I was a talent. Uh, and, you know, they would sort of box me. They'd say, oh, you're the angry guy. You're this guy. You're the neurotic guy. You're the thinky guy. And I'd be like, yeah, OK, I guess that's what I am. All right. So what are we doing? So nothing really served me. Like, I couldn't gather an audience. I was on TV a lot, but I never clicked. And there were other guys that were clicking. You know, I did my HBO, my first Comedy Central half hour the same night Hedberg did. You know, and so, yeah. like, that lightning in a bottle is something you can't manufacture. And it wasn't striking for me. So by the time, you know, I started the podcast, I had done a year and a half, uh, you know, in uh, in political radio. Yeah, and left America, the yeah. But the weird thing about that is, you know, I was a reactionary. I'm not, you know, I'm not a wonk. I'm not a, you know, a political thinker. I barely had a grasp on how, you know, legislative democracy worked. But, but you know, I was a I'm reactionary. Like Congress has no idea how legislative democracy right. works, so don't feel bad about okay, it. Okay, well, good. Well, I had to learn, but I was still wasn't insanely interested in it. You know, the people that are interested in the machinations of, of, of uh, government, you know, I learned it, but the people that live it, live it. And, but I was still a reactionary, but I still had that, that anger. It served my anger. So, But then what happened was once all that crapped out and once my wife left and I was behind the gun financially, and I think that was the, really the first turn of events in my life, being a relatively privileged kid, um, you know, where, you know, I was forced to reckon with the, the real wreckage of my life. So, you know, getting sober was one thing, but, you know, I was still able to maintain a level of arrogance and, and, and uh, you know... Like, I, you know, I got this. But once I went broke because of the divorce and once I was brokenhearted because of that and once I was able to look at my career, my relationships and, and everything else uh, of, as real wreckage, you know, I, you know, I was, you know, I was done. I, I, was, I ran out of stuff. And I think the divorce and, and the heartbreak of that, of that not working out uh, really crushed me. But there I was at Air America the, the second time I went back. So I come after the first run there. I come home, the wife leaves me, and like I don't understand the injustice of divorce. I fight because I, I thought I was fighting for what was right, and it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's not what that's about. And you know, it costs you a lot of money to learn that the first time. Uh, really, if there's anyone listening, if you're in the middle of a divorce, just give them what they want if it's possible. Yeah, or, you know, um, <laughs> I, I would say that's, that's true. Um, I got really lucky. Like I married the perfect person for me when I was young, 25. And you know, that is the most, in a lot of ways, most important thing you do. Choosing that affects your happiness more than almost anything else. Dude, well, you know, I've, I've gone through many. Yeah, so, so you were there, you were in this t stuck spot. Well, I was, br I was broke right. and, you know, there was no money. You know, I, you know, I, like I had a, you know, my parents don't have money anymore, and uh, they didn't have that much. But you know, they were always sort of there for me if I if I if I needed them. 
Thank God I haven't needed them in 20 years one way or another. But there I was about to lose my house. And, uh, you know, I needed, uh, you know, I had to, I had to ask my mom for money and, uh, she goes, well, you're going to get it anyway. I'll just give it to you now. I'll give you like, it's a miserable here. conversation. I have to have. Horrendous. Horrendous. Yeah. So she gives me 20 K to sort of, you know, keep me afloat. And, uh, and then, you know, I get this call. This is after the first air America. They'd gone through several different structures. I got this call from, uh, Carl, this guy who was at the original air America he said, look, there's a new guy in charge with new money. Why don't you come back here and we'll try to do this streaming video thing. We'll, do, we'll try to do like a, a daily show-ish kind of show uh, and we'll get them to fund it and we'll do it under their umbrella. And I'm like, all right, I'll come. I'll try to sell and that. And you got but, amped up to do that. No, you I was didn't. a disaster. Right. I, I was emotionally you know, destroyed and, and completely depressed and incapable of, of really processing you know, anything news-oriented. You know, I was just trying to stay afloat emotionally. I, I was devastated, but I needed to end the divorce. I needed money. So I was like, all right, uh, you know, I'll come back. We'll try to pitch it. And then I'm like, I got to, you know, I, I don't I care about politics, right? I don't care about anything. Uh, so I, 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 I'm I, like, we got to get Cedar involved because I can't speak to, to, to the political side of things right now. I'm just incapable of it. And, you know, Cedar and I have a weird dynamic, and it, it didn't turn out to be the greatest idea in the world. But Brendan McDonald, who's my current producer, who was with me from the beginning of Air America, uh, you know, he I brought him in. So we go do this thing. But the idea was, you know, you got to give me some money up front so I can stop hemorrhaging money because of this woman. Mm -hmm. So they did that. So they're like, you know, we got we a good deal with these, you know, these liberal money. Right. Guys. So you got a little bit of dough. Or a decent yeah. amount of dough. Well, yeah. Well, they just gave me the money up front. Yeah. I, and, the, and the pay was going to be good for the year. So I, I paid her off. I ended the divorce. We did the show, which was a disaster. And a year uh, in, they ran out of money. And they weren't going to keep the show going. And they let us, you know, they we had a contract to be in the offices to a certain date. And that was a month more than when they fired us. So they didn't kick us out of the building. So Brendan and I, you know, I knew that people were doing podcasts, and I'm like, I don't, I don't listen to them. I don't know what they are, but it seems to be an an, out, an option, an outlet, and I think we should try it. You know. And did you get the idea? I, I've always wondered this: how much of it was, how much of this idea of doing kind of a, a penitent tour was on your mind at the beginning of this, where I'm going to get people with whom I've had difficult relationships, and I'm going to try to adjudicate them on a podcast. That and happened a little later. It was never, see, none of the, you know, you can't, I, I wish you could ascribe to me intent and, and the ability for forward thinking. I, I don't have it really. So, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm fairly improvisational in all areas of my life and I, and I've gotten less so because of, you know, you, hopefully you learn lessons. <laughs> You know, and you learn you, know, you learn things that work. I never see. I I didn't even understand politics in a social way. Like you know, it's weird. Like I just wanted to be a comic. I I didn't understand the nature of relationships, of maintaining relationships, of nourishing relationships. I didn't understand the idea of of you know guiding your ambition towards a career. I I understood nothing. I was prepared for nothing. I didn't know how to live like a person. So I didn't know any of that. And you wanted to be a comic who didn't have to tell jokes, right? Right. On top of it all. Yeah, I had something to say. Right. You, you wanted to... But the weird thing is, is that I, if I focus, I can do that. But it's not satisfying to me and it's not my strong suit. And there's... You know, and, and arguably, I mean... Of course I, you could do it. You wouldn't be interesting if you couldn't... If you didn't have the ability and make the other choice, there's nothing interesting about that. Right. That's just someone who's not supposed to be on stage. Right. You were willful. Yeah. That's right. It's different. 
And, you know, it's not, it's really not everyone's cup of tea. And, you know, a lot of people don't love my stand up and wh- whatever. Yeah. But the, the point being, uh, so, 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 like, I, I, we started doing the shows in Air America after hours and, you know, bringing people in. And, and we didn't have a format. You know, there was sometimes there was other people in the room. You know, I, you know, I had gotten used to radio and I liked having people around. Sometimes there'd be one or two interviews. Sometimes there'd be a phoner. And, and, and it was fine. You know, the first 10 or 11 episodes were fine. And then when I moved back to L.A. and, and Jesse Thorne helped me set up the garage, it was very sort of, you know, raw bones. I was going right into the computer and, you know, the mics were on little stands, no booms or nothing. And I was I just started doing monologue and then interview. And then we had a third act with uh, characters that were either real or not real, usually not real. But, you know, using I, I, actually, I loved when the monologues were real time before the person would come in. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's something about that, like when you did Carrot Top or when you did uh, Stiller, right? And you would be on the way somewhere, yeah. And we real, I think there's something about yeah, that like that made the thing very alive. Yeah, yeah. Be- because we were in your head, not knowing, yeah, what was going to happen, right? And, and there was something. The whole thing was less safe, I think. Yeah, or, I could go back to that earlier. The, the, the you know doing the intros, it was a big shift for me. Like I have a weird conscience about that. That, uh, you know, even when we did radio, that, you know, when you take it at a real time, you know, what are you, what are you doing uh, to the, the emotions of the thing? But when I do road shows, like if I'm, a lot of times I'll still record that stuff and, and we use that. But at home, it just became a practical issue that we had content, we, we had to stock up. And a lot of times before an interview, you know, all I'm thinking about is like, you know, what the hell am I going to say to this person? Which is fine, but you don't want to repeat that over and over again. Uh, you know, like, ugh, I can't, uh, you know. That's true, although there's something about, I, I will say, as a listener, and I obviously uh, I'm a fan, or I listen to all of them, uh, but there was something about there was a little bit more at stake for you, it felt like, when when you weren't able ahead of time to say, oh, we had a good call. we had a good talk. No, that's when true. it was like, what's going to happen? Yeah, Am I going to be okay? Is yeah. he going to be okay? Is she? Yeah. You know, and um, that still happens in the interview sometimes. But I know what you're saying. It does. I mean, like, listen, you uh, because I I think that um, by definition, when something becomes successful, Mm -hmm. I don't want to skip too far ahead. You know, there's there's less of an urge to have to make it amazing every time. Mm -hmm. Right. There were there was a period there between like episode 50 and 150. where Every episode, pretty much every episode was emotionally charged in an enormous way yeah and now that's less frequently the case yeah it's still really fun to listen to right but when you have an episode like you had the other day when you had morgan murphy on you know it is like when a band on their fifth album writes a song that connects to who they were on the first album Mm -hmm. in a way that blows you away if you've been a a long time yeah, person. Yeah. Right, right, right. Did, did you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, did you feel that as it was happening, or were you so in it that 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 you didn't? Because that thing turns in the middle, in uh, in a very deep way, and we got another piece of you mm-hmm. and her. I, I thought. Yeah, well, I, I had to you know put that off for a long time because it was a very loaded, you, you know, thing. Not not because of the time we were together, not because of my emotions about her necessarily, but it was a bad time. And it was a bad trip. And, it, you know, it didn't last that long, but it was pretty loaded in, in a lot of ways. And, and 
you know, I didn't know if I was going to get there. I didn't know where she was at, you know, whether she wanted to get there. But in the live episode, she sort of dumped it out glibly and put me on the spot. And, and I figured we could process that. I had to put that, that interview off because the woman I was seeing at the time, you know, had a, a profound feelings about Morgan Murphy, as did, you know, the, you know, my second wife. And, and, and the weird thing is, is I don't really talk to her much, but that, that month-long period where we were locked into something and I was in the middle of a lot of emotional chaos, you know, it sort of demanded some sort of a conversation and, and closure again, even though we tried to do it before. Um, when it's happening, and this goes back to when you were saying, like, the first episode, you were finding it and it had this three-act structure. When it started to happen, this kind of, like, all-chemical thing, mm-hmm. were you aware, like, in the beginning... Were you aware, oh, I'm a, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. This is, this is really special. No, because like, you know, for a guy that's been told he was self-centered and, and selfish and, you know, incapable of uh, engaging with people, like I, I think that like a lot of the person you saw early on was just a, you know, a frightened guy who was very, you know, insecure and, and shows anger. And I, you know, I'm completely overly sensitive uh, and and completely curious about people. So once that started to happen, and once even though people not so much now, but initially thought that I, I interrupted too much or I talked about myself too much, but I realized that that that's the way this is going to go. Yeah, this this is about me, um, and the conversations. Uh, you know, I have to engage and 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 I have to you know relate to them. Uh, before I can, you know, engage emotionally in a way that I need the emotional connection. You you need to somehow use it almost the interaction as a prism into who you are. Yeah, you like I did a lot it. in the beginning. You yeah, had to do and that. I still do that. But I think that what's happened, uh, what you're talking about, it it doesn't happen as much because, um, not so much that things are resolved. But I mean, I've I've talked to a lot of the people in my life that that played these roles, you know, in in defining me. But wait, I want to go back to it. So you're saying. You, because of, of knowing that stuff about yourself, when you were building this and it started to become like, you know, the audience caught up, but there was this period of time where I'm sure every week you were getting all these more people and people were starting to write you these emails and you saw this thing is connecting in a way nothing I've ever done before is connecting. Could you tell when you were, when you were in it? You know, I've always wondered, the first time REM played together, did those four guys look at each other and go, this is it, like this is the thing I've always been waiting for. Did you ever have that moment when you were in the middle of any of those, you know, early podcasts? Or was it just like, okay, this is what I'm doing and then I'm going to go on to the next thing? Well, no, because what what was really happening was that I don't listen to them after I do them and that the conversations are really what matter. So even though I don't do as many of the kind that you're talking about, you, you know, what I do, like me as a fan of somebody or me having preconceptions about somebody or me... Uh, you know, trying to understand something, you know, are different facets of the same thing that, you know, the the type of uh, emotional connection that revolves around, you know, making things right or, 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 or emotionally loaded relationships. I mean, that's one thing. But I think that for me, when I talk to Iggy Pop, I know what's happening, you know, that I have a certain amount of reverence for people or me talking to an actor that that the you know, I'm on the precipice of disappointment. So like at that moment where when I'm with somebody I don't know or somebody I, I hold uh, in high esteem that I'm, I'm struggling with my own 
disappointment and realization that that people are just people and that transition from like oh you're just a guy or or even if they're just a guy does that guy is he still as important to me as as he was before and and all that stuff to me is very very real i mean i don't think there are many duds i do know when when i'm not connecting and i have to just let someone guide whatever they're going to do you know that some people are going to do their own thing and and i'm not going to get you know what i need but i try not to talk about it that much but like with harry dean stanton that was one of those things where where i decided to to show my insecurity you know retroactively and and a lot of people are like well, well why are you telling us that well, you know, it was like it was with james franco you did this after the weird uh live thing with you and uh yeah but that was like he was being a dick no like i think I know. I th- think it's Not great Harry that Dean. you were able to. Right. No. Harry Dean's just old, and that's the way he is. And I knew going in, it would be difficult. But I think you know, some people commented on the way I was laughing or the way I, I couldn't sit with it. But I have a hard time with older people sometimes. Uh, you know, their their fragility makes me nervous. And I don't think that he's necessarily fragile. But a lot of what happened there was, you know, he's sort of a a, a weird um, kind of aggressive Buddhist. Uh, that you know his struggle is to you know to manage whatever the hell's going on inside of him uh, in a way that that defines him, and I don't know what I was looking for. Uh, I knew it would be difficult, but a lot of people were like, "You got more out of him than I've ever heard." But it's really. interesting still um, that you you focus. I, I say, do you know when it's going? Well, I say to you, were you able to understand? Um, I found my my magic, the thing that's going to actually give me what I've wanted my whole life, which is cultural currency. And the first thing you talk about is a couple that failed, a few of these that failed, which is still like a default. For, like, you know, all he has to do is watch the beginning of your the first episode of your pilot and see you chasing around that troll kid to, to, to know that. That you're you're on your way to being all better, but you're not all better. No, I'm not all better. But I, I, I guess what I what I started to realize were people were listening. And I think that what really changed it for me was, uh, you, you know, I, I still try I still very much focus on you know what's going on in the garage and I don't like I don't pay attention to numbers that much I do get a little obsessed with iTunes rankings but they're ultimately meaningless but you know my my partner Brendan you, you know he's on top of all that shit. but what I started to realize just by the, the the thing that really changed what I was thinking about it was the tone of the emails and the way I was connecting with people, the what people were getting out of it was something that I could never have anticipated. You didn't mean it necessarily. You didn't intend it. No, it was all to, to for me to, to sort of stay engaged and but also to be entertained. Like, you know, I had gotten back to this part of myself uh, from when I was a little kid. I love charismatic people. I love people who are funny. I love people that are, are, are you know, engaging. And, and I love talking to them. I love being talked at by them. Uh, it's one of the reasons why com- comedians have always been, you know, why I'm so comfortable around them. It, it, it's very bizarre, but you know, even if you don't know the comics, even if it's just a group of guys, you know, you, you, that you know are, are different levels of fame. If you hang around with comics, I mean, you're generally hanging around with very quick, brilliant people, even if they're the lesser comics. And so, you know, the, the the level of interaction, there's a shorthand to it, but it's 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 brilliant. It's it's brilliant. It really is. And and, yeah. and it's it's very compelling and and uh, and that's what you built for yourself in the garage. Kinda, I mean, they're not all comics, but they're definitely creative people, and they're definitely people with uh, you know w- with vision and intensity. And in terms of the the amends process or or the process of trying to make things right, I think that 
I'm trying to think when that really happened because, like, even when I when I, early on when I was going to interview Judd Apatow and stuff, I was in, I was nervous because I I didn't see myself. I was not at that level, and I'm I, and arguably I'm really still not at that level. I'm not I'm not a made guy. You no, know, you're I, a made guy. You're a made guy now. I don't know. You're a made guy. No, no. I mean, it's uh, you are. Um, it, first of all, you have your own television series, something that you griped about, and you know every. I mean, I, I'm sure well, that was the other thing. If you want to get to the core of. Yes. Of my that moment where when I finally you know started to do the podcast, you know when that started to take off, I honestly had let go of the idea that I would be, you know, a relevant comic, or or ever have a TV opportunity. That you know this was this was it. So and, and this is it feels like it's working and there's a lot of good things about it. You know, I, I'm my own boss. You know, I can dictate whatever we say. Me and Brendan are on top of this thing and that's it. We don't have to answer to nobody. But I had really let go of that stuff and it was horribly painful. It's a horribly painful thing. The pride could not take it to tell yourself this is I am never going to be that other thing. It's just not going to happen. It was it wasn't you know, it, it's like I'm, I'm almost 50, you know, so like yeah. to really sort of actually as a grown up. Uh, accept and realize your limitations. Like, you know, I did what I could. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just got to grieve this thing because, you know, to hang on to it is like beating myself with a bat. And there's nothing I can do to change it. You can't manufacture lightning in a bottle. And, you know, there are stand ups that are, you know, frankly better than me. Uh, they're different. That's you, you not can... what you, I don't believe that's what you thought. No, no, I do it. not believe, having listened to 400 hours of you, I do not believe that you thought they were better More than effective. You. That the context they, they were able to sell out better, maybe. It's not even sell out. It's just that you know some people accept the responsibility of being an entertainer, and 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 once they figure out their thing, they do that thing. And if people like that thing on a broad level, but, but that's I, that's a very that's a very um, to me for you that, that's a very sort of advanced place you've now gotten to. Because one of the things I was going to say to you is, you know, you chase this kind of cultural currency your your whole life, and it's it's happened for you. But you used to have this tremendous skepticism of comics who achieved that by not being stand-ups. You hated guys who used it to go somewhere else. Yeah. But, and now you've gotten to this other place, and I, you are a made guy, and you matter to everybody. And I want to talk about that for a second, too, which is you've become the gatekeepers that you decried. You're a gatekeeper now. You decide who's on your show. Your show matters. You're some version of... Letterman, Conan, the Bookers. Yeah, but I don't. I don't see it that way. Well, of course you don't see it that way, but they do. Yeah. The 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 kids who want to get on your show do. Yeah. So that that is you 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 may not want to see that, but you you do function in in that way on on some level. But I mean, there is an, an irony in the way that that this happened for you, um, and when you finally got exactly where you wanted to go, but you you know I think and I think through doing the show you've come to understand through doing the podcast the way these other comics thought. Yeah. And you're more generous to them now, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I have a, I, I've, uh, it's enabled me, I, I don't think it's that complicated. I, I, it's enabled me to appreciate people. Great. Um, you know, again, and not be threatened by it, you know, uh, and that was hard, uh, you know, to, to be thought of as an interviewer, which I, I don't know that I really do that. You know, I, I, I still think I'm, I'm just a conversationalist um, who's looking for something personal. But uh, but to, to sort of be that known as that over a comic was a rough thing, a rough transition to make. 
Uh, and I, you know, I know in my heart that, uh, you know, I can do okay. People like to come hear me talk, uh, but it's, it's not, it, it, I'm not like a mega comedy star because I have a lot of different things I can do. Which is a great realization to make, but what's, what's interesting to me, and it's, and it's something that you haven't, for all the stuff you've talked about, I don't think you've necessarily, and I could be wrong, so what do I know? I don't know you. I only know the version of you that I get um, listening to you. But you were someone who for such a long time were a self-described purist about a kind of comedy and that a comedian who had his eye on anything else yeah. was like a liar of some sort. And then, you, you know, but but now you're, you've come to this place where you're like, well, that's not primarily what I am. Are you okay with it? Have you made peace with the idea that you were this purist who's now... Well, I'm even more of a purist now in, in a different way? way, in a human way. Sure. So, you know, the, the, the thing is that I thought comic comedy was some pursuit of truth. And, you know, and I had these ideals that were that were naive. But, the, you know, the, the other side of that has always been that the guys who made me laugh when I was a kid were, you know, like Buddy Hackett and, you know, Don Rickles. Oh, and, joke and guys, Chico really? Ch sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I still, you know, I like, you know, people who are, you know, I can sit and watch Kevin James for two hours. I mean, I, you know, I get what it is to, to feel relief and laughter. And I don't think I really appreciated it. Um, I, I think my problem was more with, you know, uninteresting comics. Uh, and I think as, you know, because of the podcast and as I got older, you know, you know, sort of fully realizing what the craft of comedy is and, and what it means. You mean watching those, talking to those people and understanding they're not just tossing it off. That's who they are. That yeah, they, gave you freedom to go like, oh, I can wrap my arms around you. Well, but I also knew that like, you know, for some reason early on, I thought like, how do you decide on a persona? You know, like, you know, how do these guys, you know, like when I got on stage, you know, there was such a search going on for authenticity and connection that there was there was almost an inconsistency to my character and it's weird now you know that you know as a comic i don't think i've really ever been better than i am because uh, you know at some point i you know i watched uh, you know I'm, I, I'm not i'm no longer trying to to, to emulate anything or, or or i haven't set my standards in the same way i used to is that you know i made a decision at some point not to talk about pop culture because there's too many comics out there and there's no way that you, you're not going to cross streams with people so i'm going to focus on myself which is what i always wanted to do anyways and run the world through me and and at some point in the last few years, I watched Bill Cosby myself, and I was like, you know, like, what is he doing? He's just sitting there, and he's deciding what's funny. So, you know, I just have to decide and, and, and have a certain faith in that. And then I started to realize that there are things I do on stage consistently, and, you know, and I just let them happen. And now the, a big moment for me was when, when James Adomian was able to do, uh, you know, a, a real impression of me. Like, I don't think you could have done an impression of me previous to uh, to recently because there was nothing necessarily to hold on to. Or, well, the impression would have been more of a caricature. Like, I will tell you that I, I've always regretted that Fred Armisen and, and those guys told you that Nicholas Fane was based on you because I watched it at home one night and I start when, when that thing came on the first time, uh, and you weren't famous. I went, that's Marin. He's doing Marin. And Amy looked at me like, wait, doing who? And I was, I started calling people, Amy and my best friend, Levine, who I write with. And I was like, this guy's doing, he's doing Marin. Because in the old, when you would get mad, you would almost do the Lenny Bruce thing and pull out the yeah. newspaper yeah. and just start, yeah. just start like obnoxious, you know, because you're like, screw you, I'm doing this. Yeah. So the old impression was that very sort of like self-involved guy. And now obviously it's this other yeah, but, but I like what you're. I like what you're getting at, and the the, the weird thing uh, about the purists and everything else is that, uh, 
I started to really appreciate the nature of, of show business in a way that I, I wasn't able to. And, uh, that and, makes and, sense. Yeah, and, but I always loved it. You know, I, I was always a consumer. But you needed it to let you in. I mean, it is true that the angry outsider rebel, you just wanted to be let in. Yeah, of course. And then the anger can dissipate because like, even I remember as these things started to take off, I mean, this was late when Anthony Jeselnik came on and you were like, so you first, uh, you would just write jokes all day? And yeah. you would go, yeah, and you go, like 20? And you go, 100, you go, you sit there and write 100 jokes. And instead of being like impressed with that, you were it infuriated you, <laughs> kind of right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is like yeah. because you couldn't you couldn't fathom it, and he's good looking in the suit. Yeah. And but I, it's maybe now not him, but maybe now you're just a little more forgiving and okay with it. No, but because you're happy. Well, ish. Well, I, I feel like I have found my groove in the fact that you know I've never been more true to myself, and I think that's always what I was looking for was to be comfortable with myself. And that was the thing with me and stand up is I was really trying to work out you know life problems like real deep you know problems. I was trying to find a voice for myself and to figure out it wasn't like you know i'm gonna write a few jokes it wasn't like uh, that's a good turn of phrase you know i needed you know pretty big answers and i needed relatability and for years i was not relating i mean there was a point where i was doing you know downtown comedy and and i was just cynical and bitter and i had this insistence in my head that everybody had this and everyone doesn't and and it was it's a hard sell you thought that anyone who wasn't was faking Right. In a way. In you a know, way. They were That's phony. Right. They were. That's uh, right. I mean, it's it's literally like the Holden Caulfield syndrome. It's right. You thought. Right. You're, you. I'm real. Right. Exactly. You're a phony. Right. Exactly. Anthony Jeselnik, you're a phony. Not him. Not him. Not him. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, he's he's pretty good. But oh, I think he's really good. I think he's hilarious. But yeah. I'm saying guys who are, you know, um, I forget that other guy's name who always wears a suit on stage when he came in. You were just, I remember, a handsome young guy and you were just, you could feel that you, uh, you know. Really it's, hard for you to. It, it's just. He, it's like, he, you know, that a lot of that stuff was pride and a lot of that stuff was personal. And, you know, the comics in my heart that I always liked were not, you know, the, the guys who I liked were not guys like what, what I wanted to be. And if you really think about it, there aren't that many, you know, who do that thing for real for very long, you know, that, you know, that really chase these demons that push these envelopes. You know, a lot of them don't survive. There's only a couple out there really that, that do that thing, you know, like Stan Hope and, uh, Oh, he does for sure. Yeah, and it's and like Hicks did. Yeah, in but Hicks was, but you know, it's weird about Hicks is that you know he was a great joke writer. <laughs> he, right. You know, he no, really, I mean, Havy is really fueled by anger too. When yeah. Havy's on, it's yeah. really fueled by that. But stuff underneath too. the anger, I became sort of obsessed with like I knew it wasn't politics. I knew there was an anger there, but underneath it, there's there's sort of a a, a, a weird sadness, and you know, it became uh -huh. more important to me to sort of discover. The humanity of the whole thing than than to try to hide the humanity. I began to not to feel that that comedy as as a as an innate reaction is is defensive and disarming and it's got a lot of different things that it does, but uh, and it can reveal truths you know by by example and and by showing people how to look at something in a different way. But innately, it it is a a stifler of 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 connection in a way it, it's almost a trick in a way that you know you can charm people you can disarm people and everything else oh, like a sociopath yeah kind of right. but but you know ultimately the the courage that i wanted to have was to to sort of you know to to feel the pain of of being present and, and being open and and i think in these conversations to get back at where we started was when this started to really take place was for for me to learn how to to not argue with people who were 
you know, who had a problem with me or, 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 or and just to sort of hear it. Like the, the two episodes with Louie were, were fairly profound because there's a moment, you know, where he tells me I'm being a shitty friend. And, you know, innately my reaction in my mind or in the past would have been like, now, wait a minute. Well, and in and, fact, it was the reaction building up to it because you would talk about on the podcast, Louie won't return my calls. Right. You talked about that for a long time before you got him yeah. in. But in that moment, like, you know, I chose to 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 take myself out. Right. And and hear what he had to say and absorb it. It was very emotional. And and it was sort Did of Did it change uh, you? Yeah, definitely. Did you become a better friend afterwards, do you think, to people? Definitely. You did, yeah, yeah. So something changed. Something broke and changed. Well, everything. I was driven by, uh, you know, fear of, uh, like, I took everybody else's success as an indication that I wasn't succeeding, and I took all these dynamics. I took everybody's sort of. I, I assumed that everybody was flaunting something, and it was just a, a, a. It was sort of a projection of my own shame, of my own insecurity. You couldn't see that they were searching to, or that they were just doing what they do. Sure. So, all right, I have just two more things, and yeah. then I will let you get out of here. Um, one is, did that manager, has that manager, I know his name, but I won't say it, has he ever called you? Yeah. So this is, a, and so just briefly, so he he just said, I don't get this podcast thing, I, there's no hope for you. And No, no, I fired him. He didn't fire me. I, because, I, yeah. but you say, but he didn't get the podcast idea, Yeah, right? it was just, a, but that was a long thing, you know, about, you know, about representation. You know, comics, we're all very sensitive, and if we're not business-minded, uh, we don't really know how to make our way in show business. But you and, guys have made the piece? Yeah, yeah. Have you thought about having him on your show? I don't think he would do it. Why? Uh... I don't know. I don't know that it interests him. Have you asked him? No. Don't you think it would be... I think it would be a great thing to hear you talk to him about who you were and what I'd really be curious happened. if he would do it. You know, I think what really happened is, is that, look, you know, they got a job, I got a job. I didn't really realize the nature of their job. Uh, you know, I didn't realize the politics involved and the fact that, you know, a lot of times, you know, they... They don't know what to do either. You know, it wasn't like he didn't do well by me. It was just that, you know, we got a lot of opportunities and nothing stuck. You know, and after 20 years of that... You know, they, it's like a marriage, you know, they're, they're sort of like, you know, we're, we're still together, but I, I don't know. But he's know. he's congratulated you. Definitely. So that must feel good. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad we're good. You know, he, yeah, he, he just... Uh, and and then la lastly, yeah, um, Lorne Michaels owns this place. Yeah, no, I, I worked you, for him once. So you know that this is his joint. Well, I, knew, I didn't know that until I saw Broadway Video, but yeah. you know, I worked for Broadway Video once. I mean, he doesn't own this podcast, as yeah. Grantland has nothing to do with him, but... Uh, do you think that, so when I asked a couple of people, what are you interested to know? Uh, it came back from a lot of people, and Mark Lasanti, who's written about you a lot on Grantland and who's a, a great guy, also want to know. Um, are, are you finally convinced that um, that wasn't the path that you should, that like, it's okay that that didn't happen? Definitely. You are, right? This is, and this is like, uh, if that had happened, I heard you say it the other day on, on your show, sort of like, I wasn't ready, whatever, but, but you do revisit it over and over again. Um, it is your, your white whale, the fact that you got to meet Lauren and you didn't get Weekend Update when in a lot of ways you were probably, in, in certain ways, the most qualified guy for that particular job. But I wasn't a whole person. I wasn't a whole thing. You know, I was you know, I was not a responsible performer. But is he the number one person you still want on your podcast? Do you still want to do the autopsy on that? Well, you know, he's he's been doing interviews here and there, and, you know, I kind of read them. You, 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 the things I need from him are you know what really happened and even if it's simple and i think that the the other thing i need from him is to to tell me that he remembered the event uh -huh. have you asked him have you tried to get him no i was going to call his office i don't know how to get him and you, you know and, and i haven't put a lot of effort into it because i'm not in new york a lot but I, I i've been talking to my producer lately where i think i should just 
you know, just call his office and, and, and ask him what I need to do. I'm going to say you should leave him a, a note at the front he desk He won't here. get it. You know, he's like, you know, he's in the rare air, you know. I mean, he's, he's uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's Orrin Michaels. But, but I think what I really need more than anything else is that my recollection of that moment, it, even if it's simple, even if it's him saying, like, oh, I, I kind of remember and, you know, you were just mad. You know, like, even if that's it, it might not be satisfying. But I also, like, like, you know... Yeah, I find out little things about him, you know. It, it's sort you of like... You collect them? No, no, no. There's no obsession about it, but I didn't... It, like, until I realized... There's an obsession with that event in my life. I think some obsession, it, yeah. About that, that meeting. Right. But I'm not in, inherently fascinated with him as a person uh, in the way that, like, you know, like, what, 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 what is this guy? You know, I, I well, that's not true. I, but but I, I, what I'm saying is, I don't have a, a collage. You like book. him on the. You're just saying is, good, you're here. Well, you're not actually going to plotting the collage, his murder on the wall, like no, 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 in a movie. But but you want to have him on the on the show. He wanted. He tried doing comedy. You got to get him, right? See, oh, this is what we we all want to hear it. All right, we got to find a way to get Lauren on your show. And uh, is is have you and John Stewart had the coffee? No, no, that's not going to happen. He said he'd meet you for coffee. Yeah, it's not going. You know, I, have I you tried? No. I don't know if John Stewart said to you, I won't come uh, yeah. on your show, but I'll have coffee with you. Why wouldn't you call him and say, let's have coffee? I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. This is a pride thing. You know? Here's what I can tell you. Um, because I, I don't, I, 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 he, he, I learned the lesson he wants to teach me. You know, he's never going to have me on his show. He, you know, he he has a uh, a resentment that is not active, but, you know, he's got no interest in uh, either, you know, befri- you know befriending me or, or helping me or, or anything that, you know, that sometimes, you know, things, our actions of our past are, uh, you know, we can take responsibility check, for check them. Check this out, though. You don't actually need his help anymore. All he's... You still have him as a monolith in a way. But he's not a monolith. He's a guy who said you hurt his feelings and that he would have coffee with you. He's yeah. not, right? He's a guy who said to you, I won't come on your show because that's transactional. I'll have coffee with you. And then you didn't follow that up. But he's also a guy that said to me in that same conversation, look, I'm sure what you're doing is very creative. Uh, yeah, because cause you know what? Because screw you, right? Right. But, but if you have, first of all, if you had the, the coffee... It's a great, it gives you a great 10 Cosby minutes for later. But beyond that, you could maybe make a fine, like, you know, there's something. He is like, uh, I think probably in a lot of ways, the best of your generation in many ways uh, at being, to me, at being searching for truth, being funny, speaking truth to power. He does a whole bunch of stuff that you would admire. I, I know you think it's a, a great haircut contributes to a lot of it, but I bet you you would. I think he's fundamentally a good dude. I think I remember him from the old days, and I, I think his heart was always in the right place. You, you maybe you don't. I don't. I, you know, the, look, I, I, I okay. I, I'll try. I'll try to get those guys on. And also, the, the, the to you know to speak to the other thing. I think what happened uh, over the course of the podcast was that, you know, for the first time in my life, I felt like I, uh, you know, I, I had done something um, that I could be proud of, and uh, you know, and and, and it. It, it didn't, I don't, you know, I don't know how it happened and I don't, uh, it, it wasn't, you know, I've always worked hard, but it, I didn't necessarily have an agenda. And like the one thing I know is that, you know, 
somehow or another, a lot of it under the radar in a, in a big way. You, you know, I, I've 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 done a, a lot of work and I put a lot of things out into the world. You know, I'm not a guy that has a wife and family or any of that. Shit. You know, and I, I think this was always the the journey that I either unconsciously or somewhat consciously, all I cared about was, um, you know, being true to myself and putting out something out into the world that meant something. And I did that. And and uh, the 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 type of self-validation I feel was was really something I, I always was looking for. And I feel I feel proud of that. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't anticipate that happening. That's the good kind of pride. Yeah. That's the proud that it's good to have because it's like shows you can have the capacity to actually love yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and thank you, man. Thanks for coming here and doing this. Yeah. Uh, good luck. Early on in the run of this thing. I really appreciate it. And um, if you want to follow, listen to WTF, watch his show. When is it uh, on IFC? Well, it's uh, the first season is now available on Netflix, on Netflix right? And I think we're going to, I think the premiere of the second season is May 8th. Just called Marin. Yeah. Uh, you can follow Mark on Twitter. You can follow me at Brian Koppelman on Twitter. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us, and uh, see you next time. Thanks, Mark. You bet. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.